Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. African Americans are 10% more likely to report experiencing serious mental health problems than their white counterparts. That is according to the Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health. But even when they seek professional help, they may not find caregivers who look like them or who share their experiences. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast aims to remove the stigma from mental health issues, offers resources for black women on topics from anxiety, body image to perfectionism. No matter what you do, a lot of times there is another expectation, right? So you go to school and you get all these degrees and then the questions are, well, when are you going to be married? And, you know, so I mean, so it it feels like every time you hit one of these markers, then there is another marker that people expect you to, to, to meet. Dr. Joy Bradford is host of the podcast. Joy, welcome. Thank you so much. Well, you worked as a college counselor. You have your own psychology practice here in Atlanta. You started this blog called Therapy for Black Girls back in 2014. Why'd you start addressing these topics online rather than in the clinical setting? Well, I've always been doing both. Um, So in my experience on college campuses, it seemed like a lot of the black women students were not necessarily coming into the counseling center. So it felt important for me to go out to where they were to have these conversations about addressing their mental health. And so in having those conversations, it felt like there were certain themes that were coming up. So I thought having a blog to talk about these things for women beyond the campus I was on would be a really good idea. So what kind of responses were you getting? The the responses from the very beginning have been incredibly positive and exciting. Um, So when I would mention to people the name of the blog, there would be lots of, ooh, and yes, kind of thing. So it it definitely seemed like information that people were ready and willing to um, accept. So then you decide to start this podcast. Any models that you were looking at for podcasts about mental health, for what worked or what to avoid? Not necessarily, but I was already listening to tons of other podcasts about things not mental health related, so lots of like comedy podcasts and pop culture podcasts, and I fell in love with the medium, and so I thought it would be a great way, a great addition to add to Therapy for Black Girls in a way that different kinds of people could get the information, and it has kind of taken off from there. Well, we're going to bring you back to that very first episode. Here's a clip. I want sisters to realize that mental health is not just developing strategies to manage panic attacks. It's also about how we can be more assertive, how we can set firmer boundaries, and how we can learn to listen to that little voice inside of us that tells us when something is wrong. So you're not just responding in a kind of triage way. You're kind of helping to build a foundation for mental health. What was the decision that you made for that approach? Yeah, I think that that has been foundational to my training. So my training is as a counseling psychologist. And in counseling psychology, there is a large focus on prevention and all of the kinds of things that you can do to prevent having a mental health crisis. And so much of my work has been uh, surrounding 
prevention kinds of things and helping you make healthy decisions along the way so that you don't necessarily get to the crisis level. But that's all based on the therapeutic relationship, a very one-on-one relationship. And you say at the beginning of each episode, this podcast is not a substitute for a relationship with a therapist. So how is it different handling this private practice face-to-face or maybe even a phone or Skype and this one-to-many where you're speaking to so many? (laughs) Yeah, it has been a very different experience, but one that I found that I really love. Um, So even in my my history of working on college campuses, the things that I love most were outreach presentations, where I would be able to meet with a group of of people about a certain topic. And so this kind of feels like an extension of that. Um, And the disclaimer, of course, is necessary because I am licensed. So, you know, people listen to the podcast and they do feel like they have like a relationship with me in their heads, but I need to make sure they understand I'm not actually their therapist, you know, in course, of course, to protect my license and liability issues and stuff. Um, but it is great when I get emails from people that say they listen to a podcast episode and now they're considering going to therapy mm. or that they found a therapist in the directory and they love working with them. So I'm always heartened by those emails from people who are getting positive changes in their lives because of the podcast. Yeah, I noticed that on your website uh, uh, accompanying the podcast, there is a list of therapists. And so what's your criteria? How do you find those people? It is a self-selection, so people can go on and add their listing. Um, and so most of the therapists in the directory are black women across the country, um, and there are over 1,200 therapists in the country right now. Um, so I'm very excited by the way that that list has also grown. Well, your episodes range from bipolar disorder to allowing vulnerability, I think is the most recent one, toxic masculinity, surviving Valentine's Day. So some things that are you know, mental health concerns that keep going and going, but then others that are mere maybe more topical? How how do you decide what to focus on in each episode? So I am in constant conversation with my community, so I'm always soliciting their feedback about what kinds of things they want to hear, so I keep a running list of topics, but I also am a huge like pop culture, TV, movie kind of person, and so anytime I watch something or hear something that I feel like has a mental health slant or can give a message to my community about how they can take better care of themselves, then I also will develop a, a podcast episode around that. So with your engagement and dialogue with your listeners, do, do certain subjects seem to come up over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. So the bipolar episode was one that was heavily requested. Um, Mm. So sometimes, you know, when people get a new diagnosis, there's lots of like, oh, my goodness, what does this mean? Um, And so some of those topics have been very highly requested for people wanting to kind of make sense of what the diagnosis means and how do they then move forward with their lives. So what you you normally, I've listened to a couple of episodes and you normally talk with another therapist or an expert. Um, It's very conversational. It's very, um, you know, it, it, nobody's wagging a finger <laughs> right. at anybody here. So yeah. it, how has that evolved? Yeah, that was always very intentional um, because, you know, it is a podcast that is for just the regular people, right? Like it's not necessarily a podcast aimed at other therapists, though I am joined by other therapists a lot. I wanted it to be very conversational. Like the whole goal of therapy for black girls is to make the information relevant and accessible. And so when I am prepping guests for the podcast, I encourage them, you know, don't use a whole bunch of jargon, you know, talk to people as if you are explaining this to somebody who's young without using, you know, all of these words that we learn in training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really wanted to be about 
you know, getting good information from reputable therapists, but also like allowing all these other therapists to show that we have different kinds of personality. So the purpose of that is to let people see like all therapists are different. And so you may not connect with me, but you may connect with somebody who was on episode 54. Um, and, you know, so, so you can tell that there are different kinds of people who are going to be a different fit for you and that it's okay to, to find the person who feels like the best fit for you. Well, and I imagine you, you've, you've tapped into this population that really wants to talk about this stuff. Any listener responses come up for you to episodes that, you know, the personal story, maybe something that you weren't expected that really connected to the subject matter? Hmm, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but the most frequent responses that I get are that listening to an episode really helped them understand something better about Mm -hmm. themselves Mm -hmm. or that they didn't even realize that that was something you could talk to a therapist about, which, again, is the goal that you don't have to just talk to a therapist when you're in crisis. You can also talk with a therapist about all of these improvements that you would like to make in your lives. And that's why the resources are there. Now, you've talked about uh, starting this in college populations, and I know millennials are a big part of the target audience here, at least from the subject matter and from the look Mm -hmm. of the responses. And you've done a number of episodes on anxiety, but in polls showing this is an increasing problem in American Mm -hmm. culture. What, What are you hearing? What are people worried about? What do they feel anxious about? A little bit of everything, honestly. Um, You know, and I think a large part of that is um, because we are so connected by social media. So we get all these alerts about breaking news and, you know, there's some new catastrophe in, in a part of the country or something is going on. And so I think people are just at a heightened state of arousal right now, um, which means that they may be struggling with anxiety. So I think um, there's a lot of, of anxiety about like politics, about school shootings, about, um, you know, just different kinds of things. And people are really struggling with like how to make sense of all of that. We're speaking with the Atlanta psychologist, Dr. Joy Bradford. She's hosted the podcast Therapy for Black Girls, which takes on a big stigma. And increasingly, younger generations, I think, understand that seeing a counselor when coping with life issues is like you know going to a dentist for a toothache. But this form of care still has a great stigma, especially in older generations and especially in the African-American community. Seeing a lot of data on uh, African-Americans not as likely to seek therapy as their white counterparts. What do you think is at the root of that? I think historically there has been a large feeling of what goes on in your house stays in your house. Mm. Um, So, of course, if you're not going to talk to the general public about whatever is happening, you would not go to a stranger and tell them your very personal information. So I think a lot of us have been raised to feel that way. But I also think that a large part of it comes related to the Black community's relationship to church and spirituality um, and seeing and, and sometimes believing that if you are struggling with a mental health issue, that it means that you have a weak faith relationship which, of course, is not the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm very encouraged to see more churches and faith organizations talking about mental health topics and talking about the fact that you can pray and see a therapist. Um, so I think that those are some of the issues that have led to there being an increased stigma in the community. Do you think there's a perception that therapy is a white people thing? Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people still feel that way. I think that that is changing, though. Again, like you mentioned, with the younger generation, um, you know, a lot of people are talking about their experiences with therapy who are not white people. Um, So I think that every time somebody shares their experiences with therapy, then it makes it okay for somebody else to see therapy, for people to see like, oh, this is not only a certain type of person who can go and talk with a therapist. 
Back in 2013, the American Psychology Association reported that white counselors make up about 80% of the psychology workforce. So this is in comparison to 5% of African-American counselors. Have, have you had conversations with your colleagues in the field about these stats and, and maybe some reasons for those numbers? Yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. So, you know, one, there is a lot of training that goes on before you can become a therapist. Um, So you do, of course, four years of undergrad and then at least two years of a master's program and then sometimes maybe two to three years of additional supervision before you can even practice independently. Um, and so I think for a lot of people that can be a hurdle because, you know, your your income may not look like the level of training that you have. So for some people, it would be like, okay, I'm going to find something where I can make, you know, independent money much quicker than having to do almost 10 years of, you know, kind of supervised, supervised training. Um, and I also think that a lot of graduate programs are not particularly friendly and welcoming for people of color. Um, you know, so grad school is already stressful, but if you add on top of that, racist microaggressions that make it more difficult for you to complete your program, then for a lot of people, they will just choose something else. Given that the majority of counselors currently are white, have you had conversations with white counselors or or psychiatrists or psychologists or social workers about how to be more welcoming and maybe accommodating to people of color? Yeah, I have had conversations, and there are also other colleagues who are doing incredible work around helping white therapists to really get in touch with their biases and what that may look like in the therapy room and how they can, you know, prevent themselves from perpetuating any of these microaggressions against people of color. Um, So I think it's upon, it's incumbent upon white therapists, though, to make sure that they are doing their work. Um, You know, I think a lot of times, you know, people don't necessarily want to have a conversation around white privilege or how that might look in the therapy room, but it's important that you do. I mean, when you hear these numbers, about 80% of them not being, you know, non-white people, then you really need to make sure that you are doing your work so that people of color and black black people in particular are not having traumatic experiences in the therapy office. How about Black women in particular? This is your target audience that you're speaking Mm -hmm. to. Why do you think, um, you know, we heard a little clip earlier that uh, a woman that you were speaking to, I'm not sure if she was a therapist or not, but said, you know, like, we we have this idea that we're not strong if we ask for help. Why do Mm -hmm. you think it's particular for Black women? Yeah, that has been a a very long-held stereotype in the Black community. Um, and, And again, I think most stereotypes start from a place of where it kind of makes sense and then it doesn't anymore. Um, You know, so if we just kind of go back through generations when we talk about people who were enslaved um, and families being separated, like lots of women had to kind of make sure they were taking care of the household. And so I think some of that has kind of just trickled down to black women being seen as infallible and that we can never make mistakes and we always have to kind of be on point. But the amount of pressure that that adds to us and the increased anxiety and stress is just not, you can't keep up at that pace. And so I think continuing to have conversations around the fact that we are human, we're not superhuman. I mean, there's a whole, you know, term around black girl magic and what all of that means. And as incredible and wonderful as we are, we also need to be making sure that we're allowing ourselves to be human and to understand that we don't always have to be on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, so how does somebody, you know, if you have a woman come into your office, she's never been there before, Uh, She's never been in therapy before. How do you begin to kind of break down that idea that, you know, it doesn't mean you don't have magic if you're not, Mm -hmm. if you're here? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I do a lot around like educating what the therapy process is, um, because I think for anybody who's never been to a therapist's office, it can feel very intimidating and you don't know what happens behind these closed doors. And so I think it's really important to do a lot of education about what the process looks like, um, what are the confines of confidentiality, um, letting them know that it's not typically a very quick fix. Um, you know, so I do understand that you may be struggling with something in particular, but it may even feel worse before it feels better. So really doing a lot of prep work to help them understand the process so that they feel more understanding and welcome in the space. Mm-hmm. How do you think race bias plays into therapy sessions? You know, somebody who comes in uh, and, and they may feel like they're immediately not understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I have heard those sentiments from lots of different women who have tried to, to go to therapy. Um, and it is very unfortunate because then it becomes more difficult for them to try a new therapist um, because who wants to kind of keep telling that story? But I think it has come out in the ways of people not necessarily being believed or asking lots of follow-up questions that make you feel like you're under a microscope as opposed to this person is really just trying to hear my story. So I think that, again, as therapists, we do need to be aware of, you know, like what kinds of biases we have that may inform the questions that we're asking and the different kinds of diagnostic diagnostic impressions that we may even be having. That's Dr. Joy Bradford, an Atlanta psychologist and host of the podcast Therapy for Black Girls. And we heard music today by Earl Sweatshirt. Stay with us for the story of slave, fugitive, hero, and spy. Harriet Tubman's life is the focus of a new book, a novel. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought.